If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Peter. We're kicking off a new series this morning in the book of 1 Peter with the theme of being an exile. And uh, my banner didn't come out great, but exile, chosen, scattered, and prepared. We're going to see this morning how we're chosen and scattered, and as we go throughout the book of 1 Peter, how he's preparing us to live in this world in exile. I don't know if you've ever said to yourself after something, well, that didn't go quite like I planned. Um, I say it a lot, especially after if I attempted to fix something or had a meeting or taught a class or just basically almost anything. Uh, You know, it's just kind of in my mind thinking, well, that didn't really go the way I had planned. Or... Maybe it didn't go as well as I had hoped. And uh, when we really read the story of Scripture, everything in the first two chapters of the Bible are the way they should be, and then sin enters in, and we have conflict, and we have death, and we have disease, uh, and we have various opinions, and all these different things that we encounter in this upside-down world And it's not until we get to the last two chapters of Revelation where everything is right side up again. And so I I say that to say what what we really should say is when something actually goes well or the way we plan, that is actually should be the surprise. We shouldn't be surprised when things are difficult or hard or challenging. That, That isn't the surprise. And so what the Bible teaches is that we are in that same kind of category of being exiles, and we're living in a world that's counter God's design, and so there's going to be some challenges. So Peter is writing in this motif of exiles. He repeats it a couple of different times. In fact, at the end of the story, at the end of 1 Peter, he signs it as Peter from Babylon. He's not in Babylon. Babylon doesn't exist. What he's saying is we're, we're all kind of in this Babylon. He's actually writing this from Rome. Most people believe in the later years of his ministry. Uh, he is writing it to uh, Gentile and Jewish Christians who are scattered all over what is uh, today modern-day Turkey. And uh, he writes to these groups Um, There's some debate among scholars whether he's talking specifically to Jewish or Gentile Christians. And the reason why there's debate is because Peter uses all sorts of Old Testament imagery in 1 Peter. In fact, as I was preparing for this months ago, and uh, I teach my students at Corbin kind of this method of of listing different things, and I I started seeing these Old Testament references or uh, allusions, and so I started this whole category Uh, in my chart of just Old Testament references. And there's just a bunch of them. And so some people say, well, only the Jewish Christians would understand that. But when we look at where Peter is writing to, these were definitely Gentile churches, probably with some Jewish Christians in it. But we see these, all these Old Testament uh, parts of this. And so we're going to kick this off this morning We're going to look at 1 Peter. We're really just going to look at the first two verses this morning, but I'm going to read the first 12 just so we get just kind of a flavor of where we're headed. And I'm going to butcher the names of these these, uh, Greek towns because I forgot to look it up and listen to somebody else say them, so I'm just going to give that to you now, okay? 
Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested, so that the tested genuous of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Through you, uh, though you have not uh, seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the out, outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And I'll just stop right there. So it kind of just gives you a flavor of where we're headed here in the beginning. Again, written by uh, Peter to Gentile uh, churches throughout modern-day Turkey. Uh, they are scattered out. Uh, uh, Peter uses this term, uh, the dispersion. Um, he's using this Jewish term to kind of give these feeling of the exile. Um, so, so again, Jewish and Gentile authors, and uh, it's written to us as well. It's a general letter to churches, okay? Um, the world that we live in, the world that we enjoy, the world that we're working in and building and experiencing, this is not our home. And it's hard, harder for Western Christians to grab a hold of than it is for Christians in other places in the world. Some people are living in situations where they're like going, whoa, glad this is in our home looking forward to something else. Uh, we live in uh, predominant riches and peace at this point in time, although we would argue that. Um, we have so many things. And so we want to make just this world just a little bit better. But Peter is addressing us, reminding us that this isn't our home. And we're going to talk about what the ramifications are of that. This world's not our home. Followers of Christ, according to 1 Peter's introduction here, are chosen, according to, uh, depending on your translation, to those who are elect or chosen. Now, as soon as you hear that word elect, depending on where you came from, what tradition you grew up in, or maybe you've never been in church before and you go, I don't know what that means. Um, I just want to say this morning, I, I do not want to get into a theological debate. And and part of the issue for me, as I thought about this this morning, is that the theological debates on what it means to be elect have taken away 
some of the meaning of what Scripture is trying to teach us. And so what I want to say this morning is more general of what it means to be chosen. And in Ezekiel chapter 16, I'm not going to turn there right now, uh, God paints this really graphic story of his election of Israel. And he describes it as if a baby had been born and just left on the side of the road. It's just there in the dirt. Brand new birthed baby is just in the dirt. And God tells the story of coming and picking up that baby and cleaning it off and raising it into marrying age and marrying this child and and giving it special uh, status and blessings and then that child turning on God. Taking that privilege and that position and saying, I'm special without God. And so Ezekiel chapter 16 paints this whole story. And then the prophet Amos comes and he confronts uh, Israel on their election. And he says, you you have this special privilege, but you've forgotten some basic things. With privilege comes responsibility. So looking at election and this idea of being chosen, I want to remind us of this. It means in the most basic terms that God showed pity on you and rescued you. It begins with this picture of of Israel just being in the dirt, nothing special, discarded, cast away, and God comes and picks them up. Our story of being chosen is not because you're beautiful, not because you've pulled your spiritual self up by your own bootstraps, it's because there was nothing in us that was worthwhile, that we had done nothing to deserve God's grace, and God comes and rescues us anyway. He has pity on us. Second, not only does God have pity and rescues, but then he expresses his love towards us and he blesses us. It would be just enough that God said, oh, this is a terrible situation. I'm going to kind of fix that up here. But he doesn't stop there. He he washes Israel off and, and he loves her and he blesses her. And then he gives, gives Israel a new identity and a new mission. You're going to be a blessing to the nations. And that's the gospel story. That God has shown pity on us and that he has rescued us. Because of his love, he has blessed us and he gives us a new identity and purpose in life. And I, I want to remind us as a church, it's wonderful. And some of you grew up going, I know God loves me. And I sang the song in Sunday school. And uh, I've been told that God loves me. And I know he's forgiven me. And I know that I'm special in God's eyes. Well, with that comes some responsibility. In Amos chapter 4, specifically, honor God with your money. Honor God with what he has blessed you with. Whatever that is, life, energy, strength, money, Uh, talents, treasures, give it back to God. Honor God with your time and your your worship, uh, which kind of became a theme this morning. It wasn't planned, but what is it we're doing with our worship? When you look at Israel, and that's why we love reading through the story again and again, because it just reminds us of ourselves. It's not like Israel stopped doing all the 
sacrifices and different things that they were supposed to do, it's that they were also worshiping these other gods. That they were splitting their time between what God had told them to do and what was culturally acceptable to do. And we are faced with the same challenge in front of us. Are we really worshiping God with our time, with our hearts, with our whole hearts? And then as we get into uh, 1 Peter, Peter is going to take this idea of what we're supposed to be doing and he's going to remind us of our call to be holy. So we're reminded that part of our responsibility is to honor God with our life, that we are to be holy. Now we're going to look at that as we go go on, but it means set apart. It means different. It means that in this exile, I should be living different than other people. I should look different. And that's kind of a problem in our Christian culture today. I mean, we really think about it. I mean, other than the fact that you got up and dressed up a little bit uh, uh, this morning and got into a car and went somewhere on Sunday morning, I mean, do your neighbors really know that you're a follower of Jesus. Um, I was reading my Bible this morning in Starbucks and I thought, you know, a lot of times we don't even do this anymore. We don't read our Bibles in public because so many people have the Bibles on their, their phone or their tablet. You could, be do, you, know, you could be reading anything. Nobody knows. How do, how do we set ourselves apart as followers of Jesus? We'll be talking about that as we go through this series. So first, followers of Christ are chosen. And I, again, I, I don't want to get into the theological debate of what, when God did that, how God did that. I mean, it just says he did it. You're chosen. Which at the base means that he loves you. That he's called you to something better. Second, this theme that we're going to be looking at throughout 1 Peter is that followers of Christ are exiled. Uh, in his book, uh, Rick McKinley, uh, Faith for the Moment, which some of our guys are at, uh, um, where are they? Yeah, Tadmore, Camp Tadmore, uh, for the men's retreat through CB Northwest. And actually, Rick McKinley is a speaker, and this is what he's speaking on. Uh, so um, so they're, they're getting, hopefully, the same message. Um, but in his book, he, he talks about how being a Christian in this century, um, it's lost its place in our society, whatever that place was. And so from that, there's this reality of loss that maybe you experience, especially if you're older and you grew up when the church had a diff- different prominence in your community. And so he talks about the reality of loss in three different ways. There's a loss of identity. The church and followers of Jesus had an identity. People could you know, see who they were. They, they had a, a, an identity. It just it set apart a little bit. And the church has kind of lost that identity. People are more likely to know uh, what we're against than what we're for. Uh, people are more likely to know, uh, you know, put us in a political group than they are to put us in a, a society group. And so we've lost an identity. Um, second, there's a loss of place. Uh, not physically. We, we haven't... We haven't physically been exiled. When, when Rick talks about place, it's, it's more about a, a, a position in society. And I, I kind of experience this. I, I, get, I get where this is at. And sometimes, you know, when I'm in a, 
a group of people playing golf or uh, at Starbucks and strike up a conversation with somebody or a party or something like that. And inevitably, somebody is going to ask, so what do you do? And, you know, I, I sometimes, I, I, you know, those of you, I've, I kind of like to him and ha around that. Oh, I'm a teacher, uh, which is true. You know, I teach at Corbin. And, but it, it really comes out. I'm a pastor. And I, you just, you don't, I'm sorry you don't get to experience this, but people's faces can make all sorts of really weird shapes and figures and expressions that, that say, I am really uncomfortable right now. And I, I don't want to make people uncomfortable. Now, this has been true, man. I, obviously, I love to golf. And uh, almost every time I've, I've moved and come to a new church, I'll be talking with somebody. And, they'll, and this is, it happened here. It's happened to every, every church I've ever been at. Somebody will say, oh, you know what? Such and such a golf course allows pastors to play free on Mondays. Sweet. So I inevitably go over there and I say, hey, I'm a new pastor in town. They say, their face does that thing. And I say, I heard that pastors play free on Monday. And that, oh, we used to do that. Never actually experienced that. There was a time when being a pastor was a career choice for normal people. Apparently, that's not the case anymore. There's not a, a need for most people to have a pastor until they need somebody to bury them. And even that, and I, I don't even, I don't include Mary and Barry anymore because most people are doing weddings from somebody who got their, I don't know, marriage thing through some sort of online thing. So pastors have been kind of, in, and some of you feel that way as Christians. Christians used to have prominent places in community activities or positions and don't feel that way anymore. So we've lost our identity. We've lost our place. And third, we've lost, uh, there's been a loss of practice. Now, some of that practice was very traditional rhythms, right? We went to church on Sunday morning. We went to church on Sunday night. We went to church on Wednesday night. And it used to be, even within the school district, that Wednesday night was kind of a sacred night. They wouldn't plan programs. But now, seven days a week, sports, schools, all those activities, all the time. But, but even beyond that, like I mentioned, there, there might be practices of identifying yourself, whether it's prayer or whether it's reading your Bible or whether it's witnessing or whatever it is, there was certain practices that maybe identified you as a follower of Jesus Christ that we've, we've lost. And so that's part of being in exile. And again, I'll remind you, this is not our home. And so we deal with the reality of loss um, and we live in a tension. Uh, exiled people are never really fully home. And maybe some of you experience this internally. This is really good, but, or I really enjoy when, when everybody's all together. Um, and, uh, you know, those, those Thanksgiving, those Christmas times, but they're becoming f fewer and 
you know, longer in between. Uh, there was a country group that just came out with a, a song. Um, I, think it's called, uh, I think it's called Big Table. But in the song, it just it really grabbed me. I ended up hearing it when I'm not a big country person, but the song really grabbed me. And in the song, she says, I want a home with a big table. Well, that really resonated, right? What is it? And a, and a fireplace where we can sit and talk. We, we want that home where people are coming in and we're interacting and we're having those deep conversations, but we don't experience it as much anymore. And maybe you have a home that feels like home, but it just doesn't feel quite like it used to. Or to put it another way, it's not all that you had hoped it would be. And the reality is, we live in this tension of this isn't completely our home. And God wants us to feel that tension and long for something better. So Peter just comes out and says it. You're chosen, and you're in exile. That tension also uh, means that we live between two realities. And it's interesting that simultaneously we are described as exiles of this world, and we're called to be agents of change within the world. There's just these tensions that go throughout Scripture. So what's the cause of this exile? And if you're waiting for some big political rant here, it's not coming. The cause for Israel's exile was disobedience. They were disobedient, and so God, Adam and Eve were disobedient, they were exiled. Uh, Israel was disobedient, they were exiled. Um, The cause of our exile is actually because of obedience. We experience exile now because we are followers of Jesus, because we are filled with the Holy Spirit, because we are called to live differently. And Peter, throughout this book, describes this as a normal state. So when you are suffering, so when people are angry at you, so when this happens, this is the normal state of things. Now, we may have had a nice little season in America where that wasn't the case, But as we look at the larger script of Scripture, that is predominantly the way that it works out. And that's what the people that Peter is writing to are experiencing. So followers of Christ are chosen, followers of Christ are exiled, and third, followers of Christ are scattered. And I'm just taking those those phrases right from verse 1 to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, or in some translations, scattered. Now, how does this happen? How do we become scattered? Well, Peter tells us, listen to this. We miss it because of those towns that I mispronounced or that you don't, you're trying to think, I don't, where's modern day Turkey again? I don't know if I could find it on a map, but Where is this? And you miss the train of thought. So let me skip. To those who are elect elect exiles, who are scattered, skip to verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. How does it happen? It's according to God's plan. 
It's according to God's plan that you have been scattered out. Now listen to this. You are, you are where God wants you to be. I don't want to be here. <laughs> I don't like my situation. I'm not saying you don't work harder, you don't try to get another job. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but, but God has his people scattered throughout the world to be his hands and feet, to be light, to be salt. Your family, your workplace, your neighborhood, your friends from a long time ago, God has scattered you into those lives on purpose. According to his foreknowledge, he has placed you right where you need to be, maybe even in this church, to fill his word and his purpose to glorify him. He's placed you places. He's given you relationships. He's given you situations. And where you get to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And, I, and guess what? He's put you places that other people are not. Sometimes people say, oh, man, I had this situation the other day, and pastor, do you want to come over and meet those people? And I'm not, you're there. God's put you there. But they're really difficult. I know. Church full of difficult people. I'm sorry. Now, listen. To those who are elect, those who are chosen exiles, scattered according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the salvation of the Spirit. He has scattered you through being called into his kingdom through, the, through salvation. He saved you and placed you for a purpose. Now, again, not because you're special, not because you're great, not because you pulled yourselves up by your spiritual bootstrap, but just because of his grace and love, he pulled you out and he saved you for a purpose. And he goes on to say, according to foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ. How this happens, according to God's plan, through our salvation, for our obedience. Sometimes people say, why is it so hard? Why is it so difficult? And sometimes you, you might want to be reminded you might not have learned the lesson the first time. Or I thought I, I thought I learned the lesson. Well, God's going a little deeper. But he has a purpose. He is molding us and shaping us into his image. What keeps us going? And I, I know that in this room I'm talking to, I don't know relationally the difficulties you're going through or financially the difficulties that you're going through or physically, I, I know some of those. I know that you're going through all sorts of things and you say, Pastor, what you're telling me is that, that God has ordained this and that God has placed me there and that God is working on me. And I, I didn't, how do I keep going? 
Just reading it again this morning. Um, Look at verse 8. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Who's the him here? Jesus. And isn't it interesting? Peter knows, I saw him. I talked to him. I walked with him. And Peter looks at these people who are going through all sorts of persecution and his mind is blown. You haven't even seen him. You didn't get to hear him talk. You didn't sit around the campfire with him. You didn't walk with him. And you love him as much as I do. And I think Peter is sitting in his Babylon going, that blows my mind. And here we are, 2,000 some odd years later, you haven't seen him. But I know you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice. That's how we keep going. We keep going because we have a hope. Not just because we love him, but we hope and we hear what he has said and we are traveling and this is not our home. This isn't it. Just a beautiful picture. What does it look like to be scattered? We need to take what is lost in our exile and turn it into something positive, into mission. So I want to take Rick's three things and I want to turn them over, which is what he's doing in his book. You can pick up uh, again. It's uh, trying to tell you what it is. Faith in the moment. We need to live out our new identity. And I, I've said this many times, but you know, we, we grew up in the church. Um, I was reminded, and you know, rightly so, that I'm a sinner and I need to repent. And, and, I, and I've repented, and then it's amazing how much the church keeps reminding me that I'm a sinner. And I, I don't really need to be reminded of that. I've pretty much figured that out on my own. And then as I read through Scripture... Scripture reminds us that I'm chosen, that I'm filled with the Spirit, that I'm holy and blessed and I have this inheritance. And if you keep telling me I'm a sinner, I'm more likely to keep living like a sinner. But if you remind me that I'm Spirit-filled, that I'm blessed, that I'm gifted, Maybe we'll live more like, we need to live out our new identity of who we really are. We need to put it out there. Say, this is who God says I am. I was those other things, but he's already picked me up out of the dirt and cleaned me off and made me something new. Let's be reminded of who we are. Second, that we need to find our place. And what I mean by that is, Wherever God has placed you and 
the position he's given you, we need to keep being Christ's hands and feet in that place. Some of you, it's your family. Some of you, it's a workplace. Some of you, it's a neighborhood. Some of you, it's a club or group that you're a part of or whatever it is. You go, man, I've been trying to do it and just keep going because that's where God's placed you. And then what we're going to be talking about as we go through 1 Peter is creating some new practices. How do we put new rhythms in our life that allow us to live gospel-centered life in exile? And we're going to be talking about that as we move through 1 Peter. So here's the application in action. In a recent article in Christianity Today entitled, uh, What Missionaries Can Teach Us, uh, Teach Us in a Post-Christian America, they gave three points I think that really fit uh, with what I was talking about this morning. And the idea is that we are to live as if we were called, because we have been. And in that calling, we should expect confusion, disinterest, and even sometimes hostility. Um, when we have an opportunity, and Peter's going to say later on, be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And so we have that opportunity. In our culture today, we go, oh, well, the reason that I can keep doing this is because of my love for Jesus. And then you get to see those facial expressions that I get to see when I tell somebody I'm a pastor. Because they start to go through every church experience they've ever had and what it tasted like and what it was like. And, and uh, my favorite comeback uh, that I hear when I say that is I love it when people say, I used to go to a Baptist church. And I'm just like, then I'll just start shaking my head because I know it's coming. A really ugly story. And this is always my comeback. Once when I was a kid, I, uh, my grandmother took me to the dentist. And uh, I was back in the dentist chair, and I wasn't being a good patient. I don't even remember what I was doing, uh, but I was fussing and crying and moving around in the seat. And the dentist took his hand, and he placed it over my mouth. And uh, I talked to my wife, who's a dental hygienist, and she said, yeah, they used to actually teach that in school back in the day. Now... I was a kid that had severe allergies as a kid. I went through my child, almost my entire childhood with a stuffed up nose. That was just, that was just the norm for me. So I'm just saying, when he covered my mouth, I thought he was trying to kill me. And so that's what I expressed to my grandma. I said, he just tried to kill me back there. And my grandma said, we, we will not come back. Now, what I heard my grandmother say was I don't have to go to the dentist anymore. <laughs> I mean, that day in childhood was like, woo, score. Yeah, a few weeks later, we're right back at the, another dentist. And I said, you said I didn't have to go to the dentist. She said, no, I said, you didn't have to go to that dentist. You had a bad experience with the Baptist church? Find another church. Look, we need to be the light, the salt, the hands and feet where God has placed us and we're just going to have to expect that we're going to get some kickback. Don't be surprised by it. Live with it. Second, 
uh, emulate cross-cultural strategies. Now, I feel a little odd talking about this. We have some uh, retired missionaries in our church and people who've been out doing that are doing it. Um, But in the idea of being a missionary is that you feel called to go to another place to share Christ. And over the years, growing up in the church, hearing missionaries share, there was always, to me, and it was great, but this story of, I feel really drawn to go to this group of people who I've never been to before, I've never met, and I've read a book about them. And I just, why? What? I just feel that God has called me to this group of, this people, this language, this, and I, wow. And, and then they would go and they would live in that place and they would just go be where the people are. Good missionaries. I've heard stories of other missionaries that all created like a little missionary village outside the, the town and all the Christians from all different uh, denominations lived in those village places, and then they went into the, those, those, the missionaries that went and lived in there. And what they're saying is emulate that idea where you choose to love the people in the place that God has put you. Your neighbors, your family, your workplace, love them. Even when it's hard. Enter their world. Look, The day of, do you want to come to church with me, is almost over. Try, would you like to go to dinner? Where do you like to go? What do you like to do? Go to them. This is our vision. Love God, love people, make disciples. Embrace the countercultural life of the church. And what I mean by that, we're going to start talking about some of these rhythms as we go further on, but the world that we live in is individualistic. Live in community. Live in a group of people that you're sharing life with. The world is greedy. Be generous. One that uh, I have been trying to, uh, to reshape in my own life, and this is a, a work in progress for me. The world is very fast-paced. Um, it's very work-oriented, achievement-oriented. So begin to practice Sabbath. Sabbath was something that the exiles did over and over again so that they might be different than the world they were in. So I got to begin class again at Corbin this week. And so we're in Old Testament survey. We're in Genesis chapter one. And I kind of set the kids up for failure in this. But I said, we're looking at the creation uh, account, I said, what is the climax of the creation account? Yeah, it's what I get with classes. Uh, and then finally, one brave kid says, well, us. Humanity. No. Rest. The sixth day, the final day was rest. Wow. In fact, in our English Bibles, we put it in a whole separate chapter. Creation account, six days, oh yeah, then rest. In America, we don't even know, I don't want to pick on one of my elders, uh, his name is Rick, but he uh, <laughs> back home here a little bit ago, and I, he, said, he said, yeah, I got some R and R, and I looked at him and I said, I don't even think you know what either of those R's stand for. <laughs> like, it's, it's just not part of our culture. Rest. Part of rest, 
beyond needing it. Part of rest is saying, you know what, God, I trust that the world is still going to be there the next day. That life can go on without me because you can do it. Rest is disengaging because you have enough faith that God is still engaged. And so we find patterns where our world says, you live differently, how do you do it? Because I have a hope that you don't have. And that hope is not because I'm a great person. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. God has picked me up and he's rescued me because he had pity on me and he loves me. And he's given me a new identity and a new purpose to live. And that's what Peter is going to teach us and remind us of what we are called to do. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this morning. Um, Thank you for each person here. And uh, God, as we open up your word, as we wrestle with what it means to be chosen, what it means to be exiled, what it means uh, to be scattered in the places that you've placed us, according to your foreknowledge, uh, through our salvation. And God, that you did that so that we would grow in obedience and holiness towards you. Um, it's just amazing how much we want the world to work out in our own way, in a different way. And help us just to come to terms with the fact that you've placed us in this broken world for a reason. That we are your hands and feet, that we are light, that we are salt. And uh, God, as a church, may we re-examine how we do that, that we might be effective in the mission that you've given us. My Lord, we thank you that even though we haven't seen you, other than on the pages of Scripture, even though we, we haven't seen you other than the changes that you've made in our heart, God, in the faces in this room, so many people, I've seen the love of Jesus. I've seen the hope. I've seen the the suffering in grace and peace because they love you. So God, may we continue to live as people who've experienced grace and hope in the person of Jesus Christ. We pray that in his name, amen.